Hey, this is Brad Costanzo. Welcome to Bacon Wrap Business. If this is your first time, big virtual high five to you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you're listening on iTunes, hit that little subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. But if you're back for another episode, or as I call them, episizzles, you're in for a smoking hot one today. I am telling you that after I just got off the phone with my guest so I can... I am absolutely sure that this is one you will not want to miss. Before I go into that introduction, though, I want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by EverWebinar. If you do any types of online evergreen marketing events, such as webinars, then and maybe you use GoToWebinar, maybe you use a, a lot of these, and you're going to want to listen very closely to this. Uh, former guest in the show, Mike Filsame, has just recently released, or it's out of beta, a brand new service to do automated webinars called EverWebinar. Now, you may be familiar with Webinar Jam Studio, where you can do live webinars uh, using the Google Hangouts framework, and it's really amazing. EverWeb, if you use that, you absolutely have to get EverWebinar. It uh, is something that I've been using in my business, that of my clients. It's very easy to use. It's proven to work, and I am happy to... Uh, have them as a sponsor. In fact, if you go to baconwrappedbusiness.com forward slash everwebinar, you should see 25% off. So go to baconwrappedbusiness.com forward slash everwebinar for that 25% off. And now back to the introduction. So a previous guest named Sarah Shaw, who many of you have listened to, and if you haven't, it's been one of the most popular guests that I've had in a long time about how to get your products in the hands of celebrities recommended the today's guest to me as a as an interview. What's great is I'd already read a couple of his books. His name is Mike Michalowicz and he's read he's written books uh, several years ago called The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, The Pumpkin Plan, and most recently Profits First. Now, I'm not going to go into terrible detail right now about uh, exactly what all those books are about, except that they're all amazing and each one of you needs to put them on your reading list. But Mike is a really interesting guy because he's he started and sold multi-million dollar businesses in the past. He's got a ton of experience there, but that's not what I'm going to talk about with Mike today. In fact, we're going to take this in a totally different angle and it's it went in an angle where I learned quite a bit. I had some epiphanies, some mental shifts where my forehead got red from slapping it a little bit. And I um, I really think that Mike has got one of the most important messages out there for business owners and entrepreneurs about profits first. And he's on a mission to cure what he calls entrepreneurial poverty. And that is the case where you as an entrepreneur, you may be grossing, you know, having sales a million, two million, ten million, twenty million dollars, but you look at your what's in your bank account, you look at your profit, and you look at how much you're taking home, and you realize that your bottom line is not really that great. And that um, if you've ever been jealous, like I have, or envious, I should say, of another business owner or entrepreneur's top line revenues, and you, man, he's doing $50 million, I wish I could do that, there's a very good chance that that entrepreneur is experiencing entrepreneurial poverty. However, Mike has a solution for this, and it's counterintuitive, but it is so logical. It makes so much sense. And I love the fact that he's on a mission. He's starting a movement to really change the way 
uh, entrepreneurs do their everything from their accounting to their financial planning. And none of that, what I just told you, is a dry subject because what I'm about to tell you is going to be appropriate for you whether you are already running a very big business or you're just starting out and trying to figure out how to do it the right way. Uh, I guarantee if you listen to this show all the way through, because I've already done it, uh, you're going to have some shifts of your own, just like I did, and you're going to hear me go into some details about uh, some businesses that I'm working on right now, where I plan on doing this Profits First philosophy. So without any further ado, let me switch over to the interview. Okay. Okay, so let's bring on Mike Michalowicz. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well, Brad. Thanks for having me. Cool. Well, you know, it's really great to meet you on here because I've read your books, or at least three. How how many books have you written? I do three, so Uh, you nailed them all. Cool. You have the whole library. (laughs) Cool. I'm actually, I got to admit, I'm probably about halfway through your most recent book, uh, Profits First. Yep. And... Uh, I want to dive into this and really talk about some of the concepts, but before I do, it's always good to give the listeners a little bit more of a, you know, kind of a quick backstory on this. I don't like to go too much into it. You know, I don't need to no. know what your favorite food was when you were in eighth grade, but blueberries, <laughs> blueberries, blueberries. Of love blueberries. <laughs> but um, let's talk about a little bit more detail about you know, kind of your background, and then we'll segue into some of the. Some of the really unique concepts that you're set, you've set forth with this profits first uh, philosophy, because it's much sure. more than a book, right? It's kind of like even somewhat of a movement. It sounds like it's, it's, yeah, it's become a, a movement. Um, so I'll tell you, how I got started entrepreneur after college, not by desi- design, but by just happenstance. Uh, fell in love with it over time, but not right away. It was very fear-based. I, I was running a computer network business, you know, setting up computer networks, and uh, just would hustle anything just to survive. Um, but over time I started to fall in love with the uh, impact that business could have. And uh, the company started growing as a result. And from my learning and so forth, I sold it to private equity. And then my second company was in computer crime investigation. Live, it was the right place, right time. I didn't realize at the moment, but it was. And that got acquired by uh, a Fortune 500. And uh, I, I think the interesting part of my story is after two, you know, "Quote unquote successful full cycles or exits, as they say, from business." I I got full of myself. I was like, "Oh my god! I know everything about entrepreneurship. I am a rock star entrepreneur." The so golden you, touch, right? Yeah, I got I the got, golden touch. Go, yeah, Midas, right? So everyone's like, "Oh, you got the Midas touch," and I believed it. I believed it. I started um, ten companies as an angel investor, private investments of my own. All of them collapsed. Actually, one uh, got through the mire, but all, every single other one collapsed to the point where it's paying bills, and those businesses were out of business, but I still covering bills that they had to do. Hmm. And um, it got to the point where I was wasting money and spending good money after bad that I actually lost everything I had made during the sale of my two companies. I mean, a lot of money. And um, went through depression. Uh, unfortunately, too many people can relate to that. I hope no one. I I can absolutely relate to it. You know, I uh, just a briefly rabbit trail there. Like I I had lost all my money twice, but I did mm. this kind of before before I started the businesses that I'm in now. It was back when I was still at a day job, but I was always doing other stuff on the side. Like I started to invest in. First of all, I had a bunch of money I'd saved up in my career. Lost it all in the stock market back in like 2002 because I, yeah. I on margin. I was like, oh, let's gamble. <laughs> right. 
So I made it back. I, I did some really wise real estate investments, and I made back. I made like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in six months off of that, and it was great. And then I put it all into an oil and gas well because somebody told me that I was going to make a bunch of money, and I lost it all. <laughs> and it's like oh. it doesn't matter if it's ten million dollars or a hundred thousand. When it's everything you have, it yeah, just sucks. Oh my god, it's devastating. So I get it. I get it because you know you know what the other side looks like. You know, yeah. And, um. But also, maybe more significantly, it impacted my beliefs. I thought I knew everything, and now I had to face the fact I knew very little. And a friend of mine, I was, I was going through depression. And now this was not deep depression. It was functional depression. I kept on working. but I, Entrepreneurial depression, also known as Wednesday. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I, wouldn't, I wasn't hanging out with my friends. Um, I was constantly in a morose, if that's the right word. And just – well – a friend of mine came to me one day and says, Mike, you know, you got a dark shadow around you all the time. It's this dark cloud. He goes, um, why don't you start a journal? And I'm like, I am not starting a freaking diary. Um, that is the cheesiest, sissiest thing. He's like, no, I'm serious. Right. I said, what do I write? Like how happy I am and nonsense? He goes, no, no. He goes, you write what you feel. And he goes, the goal is not to, to have a record that goal is simply to have an outlet. Someone yeah, unclog your brain from all uncl- that crap. It works. Yeah, I do it. I absolutely do do it. Yeah. So interesting. All my life, I I never really consistently kept a journal uh, unless I was in a that morose. I like I I was depressed. Maybe I broke up with a girlfriend, or maybe I Mm -hmm. was lost a job, or lost money, or whatever, and I was just depressed. And I would write it, and it just gets it out of your brain. And it's you know you write like nobody's ever going to see it, and hopefully they don't. But interestingly, the, over the past really year, I've been trying to keep up with a very much shorter, but starting my days off my like morning rituals with kind of a gratitude journal as well. I'll write like three things I'm really grateful for, three mm-hmm. things that are that I plan on doing, three things that are going well, and just doing that like something positively to get me in that mode. But uh, right. yeah, dude, you're right. Like it is such a cool outlet. But keep going. This is great. All right, so I start writing this journal, and uh, it starts alleviating some of the mental. St- junk but what's fascinating is as i'm starting to write it i start challenging my beliefs from my businesses i said well you know it takes money to make money and i'm like that's bullshit and just writing these thoughts to myself and then i started realizing wow there's a lot of beliefs i had that i don't know if they're true anymore and that journal seeded a book uh the toilet paper entrepreneur which i wrote and it's a kind of an irreverent um look at business but started kind of the thematic writing I do which is is uh, contrarian you know I look at established beliefs that I have and I believe many have and then say no no maybe maybe that's 108 percent wrong so the it takes money to make money uh, belief and you know to grow with the venture capital uh, all that stuff I, I challenge that and say actually greater success comes from bootstrapping um, and wrote why I found that to be true and then my subsequent books the pumpkin plan is um, a, a unique kind of strategy to grow that's contrarian to what most people believe. And then profit first, I, you know, I looked at the market and I looked, for me, profit always came last. Like we even say it's the bottom line. It's the, <laughs> yeah. you know, we use terms. And I, and I said to myself one day, I said, you know what? Um, what's really important to me? I wrote the word health. I said, I'm going to put my health last. And I said, hold on, hold on. Whenever we put something last, that's the worst case scenario. If I want to get healthy, health comes first. So why, if profit's important, are we saying it comes last? Mm. That makes no sense. Profit must come first. And that was the other aha 
and I started studying this, experimenting with it, and then wrote a book about it, why profit comes last is the worst thing you can do for your business. It's devastating financially, and if we look at it in a whole new way, pay yourself first, apply it to your business, how the, the, the radical positive impact it can have on your profitability. And, and that's where I am today now. I, I speak, I write, I travel, I've formed organizations around this, but my predominant thing is writing and speaking about uh, looking at your business in a whole new light. Yeah, so this is my take. So I'll repeat back to you because I always like to, when I'm re- able to repeat back something I've learned, it either integra- you know, integrates it better for me, but then also you know, you can tell me if I'm, if I'm getting this right. Because it really is a pretty revolutionary concept, although it's pretty simple. Um, so with one of the things that I was always raised when I had a, you know, as a kid and when I had a job and I would always try to take, you know, like just 10% savings before I did anything else, before I went and had fun, I would just take 10%, put it in the bank and save it, right? So pay yourself mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. Um, but that always just applied to the world of entrepreneurship. I'm not sorry, of, of just employee, being an employee. So what you're saying is as a business owner, and correct me at any time if I mess this up, but as a business owner, we're often, you know, we make our revenue and then we, you know, we obviously have our fixed and variable expenses. And, you know, if we make money, that's cool. But we know, I mean, it's part of, you know, part of being in business is that oftentimes it'll take a little while before you're really making money because there's they're startup expenses, et cetera. But all too often as business owners, we we continue to sink all money into new expenses because growth is everything. We have to grow, have to grow, got to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So we look back several years down the road and we realize we are still scraping by living on credit cards because we're, we may be running a $20 million company, but the take-home pay is as much as somebody else who is... Uh, you know, we may be making fifty thousand dollars a year because yeah. because growth is the is the most important thing, not right. profit, right? So what right. you're saying, correct me here if I miss this, is get your revenue. Like understand what you what you're trying to uh, what you what you need to make. What what makes it worthwhile for you? Like you say, is uh, you know what do I what do I kind of need to make? What do I want to make? And pay that first, and then grow and pay your expenses out of the difference. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Now, the insidious truth is there are more million dollar plus revenue businesses where the owner is on the verge of collapse. I see them all the time in my consulting business. Yeah, and no one wants to admit it, right, Brad? Yeah. I mean, everyone's like, oh, I got a $2 million company. Look at how successful I am. And behind the scenes, they, you know, their house... Uh, is just simply a shell, and they have lawn chairs and furniture, and they they're struggling to get by. Most business owners are trying to grow to get more more sales to cover expenses because more expenses means I can invest in growth, and investing in growth means I can make more sales. And it stays in the cycle of selling to cover expenses. We literally sell to pay more expenses. Mm-hmm. And so we say, well, what's the end game? What are you trying to do? Well, I'm trying to make money for myself. Well, if, if you're stuck in this cycle trying to make money, what if we took that money for you first and see how you run your business? Now, this plays into a behavioral principle called Parkinson's Law. And if you understand this one principle about human behavior, you will master profitability. You can master actually many things in your life. And this is the principle. The old economics model says that as demand increases, supply increases, right? The more consumers want something, the supply will increase to meet it. Right. Sky Parkinson says, nope, total lie. It's the reverse. 
As supply increases, demand naturally increases. Perfect example. You look at a full food of plate. The more food you put in the plate, the more of it you will eat. The bigger you're serving, you may not eat all of it, but you'll eat more. And in fact, they found the best way to lose weight if you want to control your intake of calories is simply reduce the size of your plate. You'll be forced to serve a smaller portion and you'll eat a smaller portion. I loved this analogy in the book, by the way, so keep going. Oh, thank you. So, and, and here's another example, and then I'll just drive it home with money. My favorite example of all time is with toothpaste. Imagine tonight, you, you go to brush your teeth, and you get there, and there's a full tube of toothpaste. Well, what do you do? You know, you use a long, lavishing bead of toothpaste <laughs> on that tooth. You pour water on it to get your toothbrush stamp, and if that toothpaste falls in the sink, you're like, Freak, that's disgusting, dude. I am not diving into that sink with that bacteria and phlegm. No way. I got a new tube of toothpaste. But when that tube of toothpaste tonight, if it's empty or almost empty, our behavior changes radically. Now we bend the toothpaste over the corner of the sink. We we bite on it. And now with that, you know, one little doublet, by the way, of toothpaste is enough to brush your teeth. And if that toothpaste falls in the sink, now it's like, well... I know there's bacteria down there, but that bacteria makes my immune system stronger. And we dive in after it and scoop it back out. That's Parkinson's law. Our behavior changes based upon the supply. Our use of the available resource changes based upon supply. The key premise is if you understand that, and hopefully that toothpaste concept resonated with you, is that the same is true with money. The more money we see available to our business, it is our natural propensity to use a longer lavishing bead of money in this case. Yeah, I can I can take on one new employee. I can take on a, new, the money. a new office. I can upgrade you this. You, you know that, got the money. So yeah. I don't know if he used the uh, Parkinson's law as it applies to this, but he may have in uh, Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Work Week. Um, but he talked about it as it applies to time, how the amount of, you know, the more time we give ourselves to, to do something, the more crap we'll fill it in with versus if we have, uh, you know, that's why cramming late night, you know, for exams or the, you know, when it's, when it's down to the wire and you only have a certain amount of time, you get so much more productive because you're weeding out all the other crap and you're just doing what needs to happen. If you, if you give yourself eight hours a day. Yeah, you know, okay. Right. You you're, you're going to fill it up with stuff. But if you knew you only could work 2 hours that day, you're going to get the most. Yeah, so it fills up to meet the amount of supply that you have. That's exactly it. So and, and the that. funny the funny thing is like you ask anyone, uh, how do you perform under pressure? I perform the best under pressure. Almost everyone says that. Yeah, yeah Parkinson's law. You have to. <laughs> you have to, right. So money's the same way. The more money that we see available to our business, we will and it's all subconscious. Like you don't sit there at the toothpaste tube and say, "Oh, I'm going to use more now." You don't say, "Oh, I'm going to be a sloth in working because I have so much time." Oh, I'm going to speed up now that I have little time. It's just a subconscious response. Money's the same way. We see a f- account full of money, whatever that we define as full of money, is all our deposits are in there. We will find a way to spend what's available. If we take our profit first, and this is the core concept. Deposit comes in. Take a pre-described percentage: ten, fifteen, twenty percent allocate it out and hide it away from yourself, now you have to live off the residual. And very quickly, you'll adjust your behavior to survive off that residual. But You'll probably be smarter. You'll probably work smarter because you have to. And more efficient. And and people go to me, oh, Mike, but if I take my profit, I'm not profitable yet. How can I take any profit? Because you're not working smart. 
if you start taking your profit first, you are forced to be innovative. You're forced to be efficient. You're forced to find a new way of achieving this number. It's the ultimate way of reverse engineering your profits. Yeah, so this, as much as it sounds like, you know, really, really the best idea and extremely wise, it's got to be hard for a lot of people who are entrenched. I mean, even myself, in one way of thinking, to make that flip. Have you find it? Have you found it hard for like some of your clients or people that uh, you know you've helped with this to make that flip? Hell yeah! People are like, oh my god. So the the, the normal response is, I love this idea. Holy cow, it's a game changer, but it's not going to work for me. Right. Uh, I've been like, I've been running my business for ten years now. Uh, I've, I've been living surviving check by check. Um, I've proven that this won't work over the last 10 years, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Here's one response I say to people. If you've just been surviving check by check up to this point, you've proven you know how to survive with the money that you're making. You've proven it. So if we take some money more at the table, I'm sure you've had times where your business has been more lean or more fat. You've proven you can be able to get through it. Clearly, you have the guts to do it and the capabilities and the intelligence. Can you do it now? Mm. So I first point out that they already are living this way. They just don't realize it. The second thing is a principle that I've taken um, from Chip and Dan Heath. They wrote multiple books, Switch, Decisive, Made the Stick. Mm-hmm. But it was in Switch, they proposed this concept of lower the bar. And I, I love this concept. And this is how we get folks started. And literally, literally, the folks listening in today can get started with Profit First using this one principle. When it comes to achieving a goal, most of us are told to raise the bar. Hey, you want to lose weight? You better run a marathon. Uh, you know, Jog five miles a day, and you're going to burn calories and get fit. The thing is the failure rates too is extraordinarily high because it's such a massive transition from where we are behaving now to the new behavior we're trying to achieve. So the failure rate's greatly high. You know, Right now, uh, the new year is right around the corner, millions of resolutions, and they'll be broken before the month is out. Yeah. So because instead, everybody's everybody's eyes is on the six pack by summer. Ah, oh, I'm gonna have the six pack. That's yeah, what fine. This is the year, right? And it's yeah. a big goal. And to get there, I gotta be working out. I gotta get jacked, you know, five days a week or something. Well, in the in Switch, they said no, no, that's a high failure rate. Instead, lower the bar. And, and the study was phenomenal. So I'll give a brief summary. They looked. They asked people who are looking to lose weight. They took half the sampling and said, okay, go run five miles a day. The other half, they said, hey, do you watch television? Uh, at all, and almost everyone said, yeah. They said, are you willing to stand while you watch television instead of sitting? The uh, acceptance rate was very high. 99% of people said, of course, it's so easy. Lower the bar. Uh, the success rate, or compliance as they call it, upwards of 95%. Almost everyone did it. A month later, they checked back. Yeah, it's so easy. People were standing. Uh, the people, by the way, that were asked to start running, failure rate was around 80 to 90% already at this point. Yet the other group, 95% success rate. That group, they said, hey, uh, now you're standing watching television. You're kind of used to that. Are you willing to walk in place? 95% success a month later. Go to that same group. Now you're kind of marching in place. Uh, are you willing to start kind of doing jumping jacks every couple minutes? I'm already walking in place. Why not? That turned into walking around the block. Six months later, they were running the marathon. Huge success rate. Here's how this translates to profit first. Don't do in, in my book, I alloc- I set up like five major accounts, allocate 10% to profit, reserve your taxes, make sure your pay is reserved, make sure this and that's reserved. It's too much, too fast. If you're tentative or you think it's not going to work or you're just plain old scared. Okay, we had a quick little audio drop off there, but Mike, you were talking about how sometimes creating five different accounts and going, jumping into the profit first 
you know, method full bore can be a lot to bite off, but there's a way that you can start off by lowering the bar and taking smaller steps. That's right. So most businesses, uh, when they read profit first, they hear all these different accounts you can get set up, all these different steps you can take that will have the most impact, and it works. Problem is it's overwhelming for most folks, so they just abandon it. Instead, don't do, please don't do that. Lower the bar, and here's what you could do, and you can do it today. Literally listen to this podcast. Go to your bank, set up one account, a checking account, nickname it profit. Now allocate a simple 1% of every deposit into that account. So literally a check comes in for, say, $1,000. You take $10, move it to your profit account, and $990 stay in your operating expenses or your, your checking account, whatever you call it. The thing is you won't feel the impact. If you can run your business off a $1,000 deposit, I'm sure $990 is almost no difference. You'll find a way to run your business off of it. The money will start accumulating in your profit account if you do this consistently. Now, the beautiful thing is you're not going to get rich overnight, but you are going to have confidence overnight. You're going to find a new way of accumulating profitability. Then, as you move along, slowly ratchet that 1% to 2, 2 to 4, 4 to 6, or 8, or whatever. And over time, you will adjust your business slowly by lowering the bar to a very profitable business. I love that concept. And I'm a big fan of also of the kind of the small victories concept. I was actually just on somebody else's podcast today, and he was asking me when I started off, um, when I didn't know anything about, when I started my first online-based business, and I was trying to figure it out. And a lot of people give up because you don't have success immediately. I mean, it was probably a year before I ever pulled any cash out of my business into my own account. I just mm-hmm. kept on putting it back in. Now, granted, I had a little bit of a savings there, so I could I could do that at the time, and I didn't know anything about profits first. However, the the analogy here where it parallels is that I said the reason I did it is cause just because mentally I focused on these small little victories. I set up my first web page. I drove my first click from paid media. I did this. I got my first sale. So everything I did, I celebrated that as a victory. And all I did is I kept my eyes focused on, I said, okay, I know this business will work, but that's out there. I've got to just do the next step and one foot in front of the other. And every time I did that, I would, I knew it was a little victory. And I think that's what forced, you know, that's what got me over those times of hyper confusion and everything else. So that's very much the same thing. You're just saying, do it with your with your accounts, with your business. Don't try to make a leap all at once and try to turn the Titanic you know, on a dime because oftentimes it doesn't do that. <laughs> it never does. Right. It, and yeah, when you try to go for the big win, you're setting yourself up for disappointment because it's so hard to get there. If you acknowledge and position yourself for a small victory, it builds momentum. It's almost like a snowball effect. You have that first victory and say, wow, hey, you know, I actually allocated 1% of my money and it didn't affect my business. Then you ratchet up to 2 or 3%, and then you start looking at your business in a new way, saying, listen, this is working for me. How do I become more critical of my expenses? Or what am I doing in my business that's working and bringing profitability that I can amplify? Or how do I increase my margins? The, the interesting thing is, as you build this up, the, the goal first is not to get rich. It's to build a rich feeling of confidence. Once you have that confidence in place, then the innovation kicks in where you find better and better ways to run your business more efficiently and more effectively. Yeah, now this makes insane sense. So, and I want to. This is a good segue into. So, there's two types of businesses that can do this. So, there's obviously the established business, and then there's the startup. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, and I don't know. Well, first question: What do you think is more challenging? Because I, I was trying to think of this on my own. So, if I have an established business that I've been doing you know, all this stuff one way, is it more challenging to switch when I'm 
when I'm already you know moving forward and got momentum in the way that I'm doing it, or is it more challenging when you're starting up and you maybe either don't have revenue yet, you've only got a little bit, and everything like and it requires you got to put fuel in the fire to uh, right you know to do this. What what have you found is it is it more challenging? This is my first question. Yeah, is the startup or switching courses once you're already going? Switching courses when you're already going. So uh, the, the conversation is, is challenging with both. So the small business says, I need every penny I, I got. Uh, the big business says, well, I've proven it doesn't work because look where I'm, I'm not profitable yet. I need to be profitable first before I can be profitable, which makes no sense. But so the small business, I say, listen, it's a percentage-based system. So 1% of a business, say you make, make 10000 the entire year. We've only allocated a hundred bucks to profit. Could you run a business off nine thousand nine hundred as opposed to ten thousand? And the answer is yeah. So the small business is pretty easy because it's only a small percentage of a small dollar volume. So basically, every penny is still flowing out to growing your business. But the small business, they become very appreciative of the power of this system very early on, and then they get momentum fast. And as they start growing, um, they can take more profitability. The more established guy. You know, it's very hard to break or change habits. Yeah. Like, you know, and so this requires instead of a habit change, it, it applies. It requires that we put guardrails around our existing habits. Most established businesses, and this is true for multi-million-dollar companies, a lot of them don't know how to read a P and L, tie that to a cash flow statement, and tie that back to the balance sheet. Um, most people have no idea how to read at least two of the three main sheets, and. I'm saying that's okay. If your habit is to log into your bank account and do a gut check on where things are, what we're going to do is put guardrails around that. Is we're going to, you're going to keep checking your bank account, but the bank account that you're going to check is the only one that's available for operating expenses, and the other stuff is going to be already uh, allocated out for other purposes. So the big business, it's just challenging to get them into this new flow, but we have success when we don't try to change their habits and teach them something new or that they need to do something different. We just trying to kind of put these guardrails or limiters around the way they're already behaving. Right. Now, do you, do you see people like, so here's my, here's just a thought that kind of comes into my head. Like you don't, you're saying you don't have to start big. You don't have to start with saying, uh, okay, I'm going to take a huge amount out. You can just take a small percentage, 1%, 5%, et cetera. Do you ever see people kind of cheating the system, saying, "Okay, I'm only going to take a what one percent," and thereby never and not really scaling it up and never really seeing the, uh, <laughs> you know, seeing the results of it? Because I could totally foresee doing that. And here's the reason: hmm. because the big thing is, I would naturally, I just have this in my gut. I feel this like, man, I'm robbing from my business's growth just for selfish reasons to pay me. Like this is just, this is yeah. a feeling, and I know intellectually yeah. I'm wrong, but I could see a lot of people having that exact same that that gut. Yeah. So shockingly, now we have about two thousand documented companies we've walked through this. Awesome. Um, so shockingly, that happens very rarely, and I'll tell you why. Um, the resistance happens right away. Like I can't do this; it won't work. If we can get them to agree and try 1%, at the end of the quarter, we do a profit distribution. And so with profit first, as your profits accumulate in that account, the money comes out. And the one rule we have is when the profit comes out, it is not to be plowed back into your business or reinvested. Those are all simply pretty terms saying, I can't run my business efficiently off my expenses. Therefore, I need money from somewhere else. So when the profit comes out, we tell people the sole rule is that you use this for your own purposes. It's to celebrate 
your life. It, you, you start your business for financial freedom. This is your first little taste of it. Your business is supporting you. And if you do put it into other investments because you've covered your monthly nut and your fund expenses, put it into an investment that's not your business. Something right, or it could be a personal investment. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Put it, yeah, some people, into real estate, put joy. it into stocks. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so now what this does is start changing the relationship from what I call the Frankenstein where your model where you're constantly feeding your business money, feeding your business money. It gets bigger and bigger, but it just keeps chewing your soul along with your money. Mm, we all know how that feels. Yeah. So this changes the relationship that on a quarterly basis, there's a positive reward. You're getting money out. And even though 1% in a small business, maybe it's a distribution of a couple hundred bucks. Maybe it's a really nice dinner out. Uh, but now they get the addiction. They say, wow, it's the first time in my life I've ever taken a quarterly distribution from my small private company, and they're encouraged to increase it. So that happens very rarely that someone says, I'm going to keep it at 1% forever because I need them to grow my business. Because when they are taking that 1%, they still find ways to grow their business. They have to be more innovative. Yeah. Where I do face a challenge, though, is on the flip side where people go in too hard. They have some success and they say, holy crap, this is working. I should take 50% of the money for profit, 40% to pay myself, uh, the rest of my taxes, and I'm going to find a way to run my business on you know, 0.1%. And they, they, they don't have any money left for expenses and then that devastates a business. Um, the idea of profit first is to force you to focus on the 20% of your expenses that are driving your business forward and to be critical of the 80% that's not. The, the objective of Profit First is to find the 20 or 30% of products or services you offer that generate the vast majority of profit and those other ones that are the uh, just these kind of leeches that are sitting there to eradicate them. But some people get too intense about it and that's where the system collapses. It's like taking a frozen mug out of the freezer and then you put it in a steaming hot oven, it, that adjustment so fast it shatters the glass. So we tell people, if in doubt, we are going to start slow and we're going to build momentum over time. We don't want to start big because we never want to rewind. Yeah, that's that's powerful. That's really powerful. My, my brain's going a million miles a minute on this. Um, what, do you, what do you find... So, so you've got your book. You've got. I, I assume you do consulting. I know you've got the profit first professionals, and we'll, I want to talk a little bit more about that. So, um, but but I kind of want to go back to what is the frame of mind that a business owner is typically in that makes them either seek you out or just listen to you and say, okay. I've been doing this for this long or whatever. I, I need Mike. Like, is there is there a let, let me reframe this because uh, I'm I'm getting a little tongue tied on this. But what I'm saying is, I could say, what's your perfect, you know, uh, demographic client, whatever. What's your avatar of your perfect client? And I don't really like that because I think it's it's a very simplistic version that a lot of people yeah mix up. But most people buy, most people make changes when they're in a state of transition anyway or a state yeah. of pain. Yeah. And what is the state of mind that the ideal, we'll call it a prospect client for you is yeah. when um, they're like, I think Mike might have the answer here. Yeah, it's it's when that that company, that, that entrepreneur says, I, I, I give up. It's just not working anymore. This is never going to happen. Uh, you know, they, they have to, I hate to say this, but they, in many cases, they have to go through the burn. 
Um, and so how it starts off, the entrepreneurial dream is I have a great idea that's going to make millions, right? Then they start the business and say, God, this is a huge effort and it's making nothing. But then they say, if I keep on growing this, at a certain point it's going to make money and they hustle to sell, sell, sell. Then they say, gosh, this is exhausting all my personal funds and I got to refinance my house for three times to cover payroll. Uh, it's not working. And then they get to the point of exhaustion where they say, I hate this freaking business. It owns <laughs> me. It freaking owns me. This is, this is the antithesis. It's a nightmare. That's the day when Profit First is the most successful because they're willing to say, I, I had it wrong. I'll try something new. Those folks, it, it's, a, it's a tough spot to be in because they're at the point of desperation in many cases. And saving someone that's in desperation is very difficult. Right. We implement, so we have to start off very slowly. Do the, you, ideal, the ideal client just says, you know what? I, I'm not profitable. I just need to find a new way, but they're not desperate yet. Those are the easiest but unfortunately, the most frequent is points of desperation. Yeah, and that's the most frequent times when people make decisions to make yeah. a change. Because if it's if there's not some kind of a pain, they don't necessarily do that. So, do you get the objection of because you're telling people to take more money off the table in a couple of ways, which is uh, by you know distributions of profit or by payroll. So, from reading your book, it looked like a you're telling look you know most business owners pay themselves crap to get away with lower taxes right oh my god yeah right and then they'll they'll take all their profits in the form of distributions after they've just completely milked the uh you know personal expenses into the right. <laughs> company etc cetera, etc cetera. right um so do you get much resistance on man but i'm going to pay more taxes i'm not optimizing my taxes by doing it like this does that is that a yes. re- yeah i would think oh so. my god yeah and and that's a big behavioral response it's called loss aversion yeah and here, here's an example if i gave you like $10 in singles and said, hey, hey, Brad, here's 10 bucks. Uh, and I said, oh, oh but g- give me four bucks back. Uh, th- then you're like, huh, I just got $10. I, I got to give four back. Well, well, at least I have six, but I had to give him four back. Conversely, if I said, hey, Brad, uh, here, here's six bucks. Enjoy it. And that was the only transaction. <laughs> the, the net effect is exactly uh, you're the so same. Right. You're so right. Yeah. So uh, tax causes a sense of loss aversion. We go through extremes to prevent loss aversion. It's just a strange but true behavioral response. We will go to extremes to save that thirty or you know, that three or four bucks by spending ten bucks to save it. Mm-hmm. And an accountant support us. The accountant will say, "Oh, oh uh, spend money here, spend money. There. We do whatever we can to spend money." And we take on expenses that we have never logically taken on, but emotionally we take on because it reduces our tax consequence. So the goal of profit first then is not to uh, only reduce taxes consequences, which you should, and and a good accountant, especially a profit first professional accountant, no plug there, huh. uh, should guide you through. But but is actually to navigate loss aversion, and this is how we do it: set up another account in with your bank. We call it the tax account, and when money comes in, you immediately before you ever really see it, take a percentage of that money and allocate the taxes. Now we are legal legally, we are agents for the government. For sales tax, that's obvious, but also for income tax, you're effectively an agent for the government. You, you've collected income, but you're legally obligated to reserve this money. You have to pay the government. So what we do is have the business reserve the money on your behalf. Then when your tax bill comes due, it's not you writing out that that tax bill. It's the company writing it out on your behalf. That avoids the sense of loss aversion. It brings back clarity and logic. And now we're not aimlessly spending money to, re- you know, we're not spending ten bucks to save three. We're acting much more logically. That's yeah, that's great. I, I lo- you you summed up the entire thing too with the whole ten dollars, six dollars. 
Because right. I just started laughing. I'm like, yeah, one of them would suck. One of them's great. Hey, thanks for six bucks. <laughs> right, right. Isn't that, it's bizarre. The other it's, one is like, how come you took four? Why don't you take two? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the lesson is this. It's, it's, it's nearly impossible to change our behaviors. It really is. So everything I did in Profit First and everything when we look and when you examine yourself, don't try to change your behaviors first. Instead, look, are there ways of managing or putting guardrails around the way you naturally behave? They'll actually make that behavior now a very positive thing. That's that's profound. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's where I want to take this conversation now. I want to do two things. One, you mentioned this which was the uh, Profit First Professionals. And it's a, uh, I want you to explain what that is. And then I want to ask you, as we talked a little bit offline on this, I am personally in the process of a startup business. Um, we are pre coffee. Exactly. We are pre revenue. And we are um, getting everything. Like, I am currently in the place where I am um, doing this. Like paying the expenses out of just my normal consulting company, you know, I have not even gone, you know, gotten the legal documents yet, just because it's still it's in the extreme startup phases. But uh, I'm, I plan on doing this right. So I want to circle back, and anybody who continues to listen to this, you know, pass the plug for Profit First Professionals. I want you to tell me how, if I was to work with uh, you and your group even more, how, what that would look like, especially from a startup phase. And people totally. can kind of get an idea of like, oh, this is kind of cool. I, I see the way this works. So we'll go, what is it? And then talk about how it would work in a real yeah, life situation. Yeah, I, I love it. So Profit First Professionals came about. It was unanticipated. Uh, but when I wrote my book, I first, because I had a couple of books out there, I circulated this new book with uh, some of my most rabid, if you will, readers and said, hey, I can give you a, a, a peek at this book in advance. There's about 100 folks that got it six months before it went to, to publishing and printing. And uh, the feedback, the first person's feedback blew my mind away. They said, I love Profit First, such a simple concept, um, but my accountant doesn't get it. Who, who do you suggest should be my accountant? And I was like, huh, I, I didn't think about that. Uh, a couple emails later comes in and says, hey, who's the bookkeeper that supports Profit First? I want to hire her. And I was like, <laughs> oh. Within the third email, or one of them was a phone call too, I'm like, oh my God, there should be an organization of, of professionals that support this. So very quickly, and I very quickly also modified the book, uh, to support it is uh, I formed an organization called Profit First Professionals. It's a member organization of accountants and bookkeepers that have become certified in the Profit First methodology. Now, what makes them distinct is if you own a business, at some point you're going to need bookkeeping. Maybe you're doing in-house. Maybe you outsource it. You're going to need an accountant. Um, you need the service anyway, but wouldn't it be cool if your accountant or bookkeeper had a methodology to enhance the profitability in your company and to uh, not only advise you on this but guide you through the process? Yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to try to teach your bookkeeper or accountant. Hey, go read this book, and here's how I want to do it. I mean, they're. Yeah, yeah that, that's. And, I could just imagine that would be a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Go. I encourage anyone listening in. Go to your accountant and say, "Hey, I want to start doing profit first. Can you support me?" Uh, chances are your accountant's going to look at you half-eyed and go, "What the f is that?" Um, no, profit always comes last. Look at your income statement. Profit last. That's who I am. I'm a profit last professional. Like that's. They haven't the, drank the, the Kool-Aid yet. They haven't. The, the the axiom is so entrenched in society that the established accountants and bookkeepers out there, the 99% of the population uh, is teaching you a system that doesn't work. Profit comes last. So, 
So you'll get res- I find you get resistance from the professionals you already work with. The thing is, so, just to add yeah. add to that, CPAs are not designed. The best CPAs and accounting companies do this, and they do a, a great job. They take a proactive approach to what is the best practice, but most of them are not set up to do that. They're there to make their money by servicing you in the standard way uh, that they've always done it. And you know, I, I say you know, C- CPAs count the beans. They're not necessarily telling you where to go plant them and to make more. Right. You know, so this is, this is cool. So the the ultimate test of an accountant or bookkeepers go to them and say, can you help my business be more profitable? Almost all of them will say yes. Then say, Hey, what's the methodology you follow? And they're like, uh, 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 yeah, I'll tell you where to find the most tax deductions. Yeah, 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 exactly. Reduce your taxes and cut costs. Okay. But, but what's the methodology? So that's what our organization does. So you need a bookkeeper accountant anyway. If you want one that drives profitability, you can do that. And we have a website. If you just search for Profit First Professionals, we'll, we'll make an introduction for you. Mm-hmm. If, if we were talking with your business specifically, how we start off with any business is we go through a assessment. If they're an established business, we call it the profit assessment. Or if it's a newbie business, we go through profit projections. Where is your business looking like it's going to go? Then we set up the initial structure. We, the five core accounts, we call it. We set up the five core accounts with your bank. It's very simple to do. And we start the allocation percentages. Then on a periodic basis, usually in the beginning, we check as the cash starts flowing in about once a week. It's a simple five-minute check-in. And then quarterly, we start adjusting the percentages to perfect it. Because every business has its nuances. Not every business can follow the exact same percentage formula, even though we have, uh, we call them TAPs or target allocation percentages based upon studies we've done. But we, we start adjusting and, and kind of tweaking the dials, if you will, so the system is perfected for your business. Um, and and they're, then they're the accountability partner because there will come a day where you're like, I can't pay my bills. This is ridiculous. I guys take my profit account. That's when your business is basically screaming at you and shaking you saying, you can't afford to run the business this way. Find a more innovative way. And it's, it's kind of an ice bucket challenge. <laughs> it's, it's a scary moment. But our profit first professionals then guide you through this. We, we go into our database of the 2,000-plus other companies that have gone through it and say, what, how have other folks navigated the situation? Mm, nice. What do we do here? What other companies do we have in the coffee business? And actually, we have a large distributor in Australia and, and India that we work with, very closely company, um, that's gone through Profit First very successfully, but not without the challenges. So we just use that kind of resource uh, of past experiences to help you navigate situations like that. That's beautiful. So the a Profit First professional, these are... Individuals, yep. Correct me, uh, or who who they don't work for you, no, nope, but they, they have their own practice. Yeah, but they are certified by you, exactly, and they understand it. And I imagine there's that you interact with them and keep them up on. Like you guys probably all have some kind of a, you know, cross talk with each oh, other. Totally. Best we practices. have yeah, conferences, so we meet face to face. That's awesome. We uh, we, uh, we do one on one coaching with our members. So li- literally, our little office here. There's five of us. There's two folks that are on the phone every single day walking our members through nuances. Because when a new accountant or bookkeeper comes on board, uh, first we make sure that they implement it successfully in their own business. I mean, to master something, yeah. you gotta, to teach something, you got to master <clears throat> So, But then the second thing is, you know, they may run into a nuance that's brand new. We may have an accountant that's working with you and says, I've never worked with a coffee business. You know, tell us how it works. And then we are facilitating the connection with our other members to have navigated that situation. So there's just a lot of – it's a high-touch kind of business. Nice. Now, you also – because I'm, I'm on the website here. So you have a couple of options for people like, hey, look, find these professionals to work with or become a professional. Become one. So if, if somebody's listening out there, 
what types of, so bookkeepers and accountants, is there anybody else who uh, this is ideal for to go through your certification in order to be able to do this? Yeah, business coaches. That's nice. the triad. So it's funny, I, just before our call here, I had a call with one of our business coaches and uh, that helps. See, when it comes to profit, there, there's three consequences. One is how do you manage your books on a day-to-day basis? That's what a bookkeeper does. How do you address the tax consequences and the financial strategy? That's an accountant. But then how do you also address the business strategy? That's a business coach. So we had a client um, of our one of our members who manufactures garage doors mm-hmm. and um, they found that there's a particular niche that they're serving in the commercial industry that's more profitable, thank you to their bookkeeper. Well, their bookkeeper said, you know what? To really deep dive into that niche, you need a business coach. Well, they turned that bookkeeper turned on that client to uh, one of our profit first professional business coaches who's now navigating them. But they're all speaking the same language about profit first, and then we design the structure around ensuring profitability and enhancing profitability. That's great. So I know there's a lot of business coaches listening to this. I don't know how, if there's as many bookkeepers, probably not, and accountants, yeah. but there may be. But that's really interesting that you say that, that this is because certifications are great, especially when you know you, competition is tough out there, especially for business coaches, because I know it's a, uh, it is a very competitive field. People are trying to stand out. Um, having a methodology like this behind you does make you stand out it's, it's definitely unique i mean i have you don't come across this all the time and um it's when i say unique i mean this is in a great way it's a very unique service yeah. advantage that that you can provide people okay I, so oh, I, go ahead well i'll share one more thing i just found and this is regardless if it's something to consider or not and i i realize i'm plugging it because i'm a plug it all right, well, I'm on a mission here to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. Yeah. And that's my life's mission. And, and that this business uh, allows. And it's an that. epidemic. And it's what's funny it's is it's, a, it's, a, it's an invisible epidemic because everybody talks top line numbers only. Yes. I've got one of my best friends, is, <laughs> we do like every other day, I think we, we do counseling sessions with each other, <laughs> talking each other off the ledge, right? So, um, but he, and he's like, oh, man, I'm just a. I'm a loser. That guy right. over here is doing ten million dollars. I'm only right. doing, oh, I'm, I'm only doing two. I was like, yeah, but you you only see the top line numbers. And I've you know I I learned this a long time ago. Never be jealous of somebody's top line revenue. Never, never. And especially so, I know that a lot of people who listen to this show are um, are very familiar with the entire information get rich on the web. Uh, market whether some of the listeners probably sell this stuff themselves they've all probably bought it and it's really really easy to fall in the trap to say hey this guy just launched his product and he did you know a million dollars in a day and i don't realize that he may have lost money on that right right do not be envious and 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 multiple years of his life (laughs) you know just exactly and it's more the unfortunate reality is that's more frequent than not. Yeah, it is. So, so you're on a mission to stop this. We'll call it this invisible ec- epidemic. I think that yeah. you can use that in your marketing. Thank you. Trademark. <laughs> I will transfer the IP. Um, so, so let, let, let me ask you this. Uh, let's go into the real world situation. I am, as I said, I am pre-revenue. I am, which I love. I got that off Shark Tank, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I am in those early stages, and I. I am struggling constantly with you see when I first start when I started my first couple businesses and I was a cowboy 
toilet paper. It was dirty toilet paper entrepreneur, right? I was just, you know, uh, winging it as I went, made a billion mistakes, and, you know, I willed this thing to profitability and eventually an exit that, uh, and I remember thinking, man, I would do so many things over if I could. So for the past three years, my business model personally has been a lot simpler because it's a pure consulting-based model and a mastermind that I run. So I don't have uh, a I don't have a large operation that I have to to deal with. I don't really like large operations. I like to work in the, the areas that I'm really good at. So the thing that I'm starting now is require this. This is a, another real business, and mm. I I know I I've been up late at night thinking, okay, here I am. This is like I've got the knowledge. I know what to do, and I know all this other stuff. And I've been advising my clients and things to do this stuff. Don't drop the ball. Do this right. Don't overlook. I don't want to overlook a lot of the key components just because I'm in that stage that a lot of us startup entrepreneurs get where you're just you're you're in the build mode. You're in that the the moment of creation and yeah, as I said, hair is on fire. Um moving a million miles a minute. Half of it's fun, half of it's you know, scary as hell. But uh it's in those moments where things get overlooked. Right, and right. I am looking to set things up correctly, and yet not overcomplicate things, uh, because I also believe that oftentimes, and I know this for a fact, a lot of people who are just starting their first business, and I did this. We go to Legal Zoom, and we get the LLC, and then we register sure. here, and we do sure. all this other stuff. And I did this stuff for like four months before I had a sale of anything. Yeah. I was like, some of the stuff you can wait, like just go get a sale, get somebody to give you money. <laughs> Whoops, we just had to get uh, cut off there, but picking back up where we're at. So, Mike, to, to recap, I personally am in that early stage phase of getting this all ramped up, and I don't want to make mistakes. And I actually am looking to do the best practices from reading all this stuff, from talking to you. I do personally feel that what you're doing is probably best practices, especially because I've been on the other side of it. So mm-hmm. I want you to walk me through what it would look like if I was working with a profit first professional and using this methodology kind of from day one because there's probably some people out there who are either in my exact situation or in pre-launch or launch mode where they just started their business and they are overwhelmed with growing it and all of this other stuff and they probably the last thing on their mind is profits because they probably assume like most of us do that uh, profits are only going to come after maybe a, a year or two in the business where you know once that kind of comes up so Walk walk us all down the path of what that would look like. And you're right. Most people think, oh, it's going to come one day, and it never comes. So the, the first thing a profit-first professional would do at the brand-new business is discuss your business model, what your projections and so forth, what you think are coming. But the biggest thing, and you've already done it because I, I know we spoke offline, is niche specialization. There There's certain aspects of niche specialization that provide such efficiencies and benefits to profit that it's almost – it's almost uh, dumb not to specialize in a niche. And what's so powerful about that and what a profit first professional will walk you through is when you pick a category you're catering to, the marketing becomes a lot more efficient. You, you're marketing to one community repeatedly and there's fewer ways to market to them, which means less cost. They, they, they congregate typically in, in, in less areas than the general market. But the other thing is the solution becomes very consistent. There's less variability in what you need to do. So they discuss, well, what are the coffees and the other things you're developing for this community specifically? 
And at the same point, what are the things you don't have to do? Like we were talking about that, like rifle shot coffee or whatever mm-hmm. other one was. Like clearly, whatever they're doing with their coffees are not a fit. So now you reduce your variability in inventory. You have fewer things delivered to a smaller segment of the market, meaning more consistency. That inherently bleeds profit. So it's a beautiful thing. They'll get a sense for your business. Stage two, they'll say, now that we understand it, let's get you set up with a custom your custom accounts. They go to your bank, or actually you would do it or they could do it on your behalf, and you'd set up the core five accounts, income, profit, tax, owner's pay, and operating expenses. But additionally, they would reserve set up additional accounts for specific reserves. You're an inventory-based business. You need to get those beans and grind them up. You may need capital purchases for equipment to produce or package this stuff. Um, or maybe you're outsourcing it. Well, they get an assessment for that and then set up the accounts accordingly. Uh, you may need a capital account account to make these purchases of equipment. You may need an inventory account. Uh, you may be selling direct to consumer or you may be selling through uh, the channel. If you're selling through the channel, they'll maybe set up uh, accounts for large purchases that drip in, meaning a client may buy 50,000, maybe hopefully a million dollars of coffee from you in one purchase, but that needs to be delivered over a year's period based upon certain deliver- delivery parameters, and they would set up accounts for that. Then, and this is the biggest thing, they they get the, the account set up, they start testing it. As you, as you run your business, they monitor it, first initially on a, a weekly cycle, then quickly they can adjust to a monthly and then a quarterly cycle, but they, they determine what percentages are working for you, what are not, and they start adjusting the dials, if you will, to get the cash flow machine running perfectly and fluidly. And at the end of the day, every quarter, they're the ones calling you up saying, hey, uh, Brad, it's time to take your profit distribution, congratulations, and then you're going back into it and seeing if you can run your business even more efficiently and better next quarter and keep that momentum going. Nice. I love that. And then these are people who um, – so, so, so these are professionals out there that are in your circle that are certified. How do, how do, you, how do, you, how do you choose who's best for somebody? <laughs> it's a good, it's a quick question. So we Dart, go. Dartboard? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Well, I, well, actually, let me say yes for the very opening. You know, when we when you start a business, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. So our reach out was, hey, does anyone have the the cojones to try out our system and 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 put this as a shingle on your business because no one else in the world has done it yet. You'll be the first, and it's it's kind of scary. Uh, it's like we we called it Washington's army crossing the the Delaware to take on the British. They're better equipped. They're a more sophisticated army. There's a whole different mentality out there. But we want the few risk takers that are going to come on board. So week one of our business was throwing against the dartboard, and we had the inaugural eight. We call them the folks that were just willing to take a risk. We learned from them what makes a great profit first professional. And uh, sadly, some folks uh, we asked to depart ways because they didn't make a great profit first professional. The, the first thing is this. An accountant or a bookkeeper that has implemented it in their own business. If they aren't running this system themselves, they don't understand the system well and they don't understand the emotional consequences of the system. We want our accountants and bookkeepers to go through the pains of not having enough money to pay bills and, and, and having profit first helping them navigate it. So that's stage one. Stage two is they have to have an excellent service reputation because this is no longer data in, data out. This is consultative. So they have to be able to communicate effectively with clients and dumb down the the the, the accounting talk. Like, you know, a lot of people don't know what an OCR metric uh, ratio is and how to tie that back to a balance sheet and why it's even important. And quite Whatever, important, dude. Everybody yeah. knows that. Oh, okay, okay. That's a good point. <laughs> Everyone knows that one. But besides, you know, most people don't. And 
So they need to be able to, to talk in the entrepreneurial language, you know, the real simple stuff. So much so that the word profit, as defined by an entrepreneur, is defined different in accounting. To me and you as entrepreneurs, profit means how much money is left in my pocket at the end of the year. <laughs> exactly. An accountant says, what's the uh, dispersion between uh, uh, your expenses and your income uh, on an accrual basis uh, regardless of the cash consequence? That doesn't mean anything to me. But I do know an accounting profit, I got to pay taxes on even though I don't have the money to pay those taxes. That makes no sense. So we, we need to translate and, and our accountants and bookkeepers have to understand how to speak the entrepreneurial version of profit in these other words. Once they understand those concepts, they've mastered for themselves, they're excellent at communication with clients and have an excellent service reputation, and they can speak the entrepreneurial language, that is the foundational stuff to become a member. That's great. That's awesome. So it, it, how many people do you have in your network now? Are they is it, As of is this it morning? Yeah, it's growing. As of this morning, 102. That's great. Uh, we track it every single day. Actually, I take it back. As of tomorrow morning, it'll be 103 because we had someone sign up uh, as a new member uh, a, a few hours back. Uh, so we literally track this. This is our key metric. We track this every morning. Um, we are 18 months old, and uh, now we're starting to get momentum. We're starting to get recognized uh, in the industry enough that people are calling saying, hey, I've heard about you, or my client is an entrepreneur and read your book, and I want to consider this. Where 18 months ago, even 12 months ago, it was like, who are you guys? What are you doing? Yeah. yeah. Well, so, so now let's talk about from the flip side because there are probably – I mentioned this earlier. There's probably business coaches and maybe some other professionals who would want to be certified. Tell me about you know what what's involved with that. So I go there and I say, hey, I want to be a certified profit-first professional. Um, yeah, so you, you get a <laughs> – so you, you go to our website, profitfirstprofessionals.com. You fill out the apply side because two people visit that site. People that want to hire a profit first professional, they click on the find button. Yeah. Or someone who wants a coach who wants to become a member will click on the apply button. You fill out a little form. Uh, it goes to uh, we have two team members that work on it, Aaron and Ron. It goes to one of them. They do a quick evaluation, and what we do is we send out uh, a, a literally an eight page letter that says, "Here's the reasons why you probably aren't going to make it. <laughs> probably why you're not going to want to do it." And it, it sounds crazy, right, to say, here's why it's probably... <laughs> yeah, well, it, it works very well. And it, it sounds kind of schmuckish to be doing this, but we we don't want people that are trying it because they just want to become a member of an organization and just hang a shingle or hang a name on the board. We want people that do it. Because initially, we were kind of horning ourselves out in the beginning. We're like, oh, we'll take anybody. And we had people that used the name... But then gave a bad reputation to the name. Yeah, you can you can ruin an entire business like that. So yeah, it's it's like listen, we're far from anything like McDonald's, but I like to use that analogy because it's such a recognizable name. McDonald's has millions of locations, but if you go to McDonald's and you eat uh, a hamburger and it has botulism or something, that doesn't hurt just that store; it hurts the entire McDonald's brand. So they they enforce uh, making a hamburger, albeit a bad hamburger, without botulism. So. Us, we know we're only as strong as our weakest member, so we cannot afford to have weak members. So you get this eight-page letter that says, here's the reasons you probably don't want to do it and probably not a fit for you. If you pass that acid test after you read this whole thing, click on this button, and we're going to schedule a call, and we're going to interview you, and likewise, you're going to interview us. We may love you, but then you may think we're a bunch of schmucks. So we want you to interview us and ask any question. Uh, and then we say, at the end of that, then, then we're going to want 
if we think you're a great fit, we think you're a great fit, we're going to want a commitment. And a commitment simply says that um, that you're going to proceed if we accept you in after giving us three references. Conversely, we're going to give you three references of ours and that if you want to proceed with us, we are committed to proceeding. So it's this kind of cross-check through references uh, and it's basically a, a verbal commitment or an LOI letter of intent. <laughs> you know, a letter of intent. And then the references happen. We do our follow-up. Uh, our members, prospective members does a follow-up and then it's, it's, it's go time. We, we get it going and then they go through extensive, intensive training for about three months, implement in-house and then within six months uh, they're rolling out to clients with our guidance. Oh, beautiful. Well, I, I love to know that you're actually putting a lot of time into that, not just selling a certification to you know, up the price because you know there's a lot of that out there right now, which is yeah, become a certified X, and it's right. really just glorified. Yeah, hang, do something to hang a shingle, and yeah. um, it, it sounds like you're, you're you're doing something really good here, and I would hate to see it yeah ruined by that. So I commend you for you know doing that. Thank you. Wise. Yeah. So yeah. so this I mean this has been an amazing conversation. I've learned a lot. It's you know the, the stuff that you talk about the the concepts, the philosophies. It's not, you know, sometimes I feel like, okay, I'm just, I hear a lot of stuff that's rehashed over and over, and this definitely isn't, and it's really refreshing. And um, something I'm definitely going to look at pursuing here. So now's the time in the show where I like to ask you, you know, what's a, what's a nut you're trying to crack? Is it whether, and it, whether it's a, a resource you're trying to get, a person you're trying to, you know, hire, a position you're trying to hire, um, a strategy or a challenge you're trying to overcome. Is there anything that um, that you're trying to do right now that you could use some help with? Whether it's for me or maybe one of my listeners here, since like, man, I got the perfect solution for you. Okay. So I'll give you one that I suspect a lot of people could could share some insights. And then if it's okay, I'll give you two. There's do one it. that's really kind of unique and niche. So the the first one is uh, is classic scalability. There's five employees here. The biggest company I ever had to have. 25, 26 employees. Um, and while I've been through this cycle before, yeah, just because I was through it before doesn't mean I'm, I'm good at it. When it comes to scaling, there's certain things that I enjoy doing that I realize it's now time to give them up. So there's stuff to give up and delegate that I don't like doing. That's the easy part. Now there's certain things that I like to do, I'm good at, but there's other things that it's more important that I'm doing. And I'm, I'm also I would argue enjoy doing those things. Cool. No, wait. I'm real curious. You got to tell me an example of that because that is that's something you don't hear a lot about. You hear a lot about, man. I just need to outsource all this stuff that uh, that you know I hate. But when you realize, and that's that's actually a really smart thing. When you realize you have to delegate some things you actually do like doing if you want to get to the next level. Well, give me an example. All right. So here's the. I love public speaking. I I do maybe 50 events a year, um, but. Prop first, knock on wood, has enough attraction that I can't do all the speaking gigs uh, to the point where I, with some regularity, say, hey, is this day available? It's like, oh, no, I'm already speaking that day. I can't do another one. But to get the momentum going for profit first, I want other people speaking on it. And I love the speaking. And yes, other people can speak on it, but gosh, they're not going to do it Mike's way, I feel. <laughs> so it's speaking. I love to do it. There's just only so much time. And I know it's a detriment to be declining speaking opportunities for profit first and not giving it to other people to do. Okay. So kind of finding a way to get people who are, even if they're 70 or 80% as effective as you, but just getting more people out there preaching the gospel? 
Yeah, exactly. Cool. And here's the irony: maybe maybe they're 110. percent Maybe they're yeah. more better yeah. than I am. I exactly. just don't want to admit it. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Uh, let me ask you a question about that. So the the 50 or so speaking events you do a year. What's a what's a typical What's a typical person that would hire you to come speak? Like, give me, the, like, are you speaking at um, conferences? Or, are are businesses bringing you in to speak to their internal events? Give me, give me an example of some of the uh, what the yeah. average is. The most common is an association or organization. Very infrequently is it a corporate mm-hmm. speaking engagement. So normally it's like the Plumbers Association of America, the Windows Windows Cleaners Association, the Bowling Proprietors Association, which all those conferences I spoke at, and <laughs> <laughs> they actually exist. Occasionally, well, maybe now almost with balance, there's organizations. So the Entrepreneurs Organization, the Young Presidents Organization, the Women's Presidents Organization, where it's groups of entrepreneurs are inviting me to speak. Okay, excellent. So that's one. And then you said there was another one that you're looking to potentially... All right, so this is this is the niche one. Um, I found the greatest platform for spreading the word has been television. Not that television yields a... Uh, massive amount of leads but it brings instant credibility and it it furthers exposure so I've done uh, makeover shows uh, on MSNBC uh, and so forth Um, I've actually piloted two shows for two major networks but both are duds Mm. I have studied there's a wonderful show that perhaps you heard of I love called The Prophet oh yeah I love that show yeah it's good Um, I've been contacted by producers of that television show, that network, and other shows to do something, but they've all fallen flat. Meaning I've done the pilot, and then the pilot died. Maybe I suck. Maybe it wasn't the right timing. But selfishly, I know that that level of platform of exposure can help me serve my life's mission of eradicating entrepreneurial poverty. If, if I can get there, uh, it's more powerful than even speaking from the stage. Uh, how do you get a television gig permanently in your own television show? Not out of my selfish ego interest, albeit I know it's in there. Yeah. But but the real interest is I, I think I can have the greatest impact in serving what I want to serve uh, in the world. Excellent. So in that area, people who would be perfect for you is anybody who has experience producing or they have, um, they have I, I guess, direct relationships with whether it's networks, cable, or... Or, or traditional network that's looking for something like that. that this and if, if if they're listening to this show and it resonates with them, that could be an opportunity um, as well. I've got a couple of uh, I've got a couple of potential contacts in um, who who I know have, know a lot more people in that space. So my friend Nick Nanton, I don't know if you know Nick, is a um, this may be actually interesting for you in a couple ways. So Nick, Nick's specialty is really helping people build authority through uh, things like books and TV, et cetera. But he's mm. an Emmy winning. He's a, he's an Emmy award winning filmmaker. He just did. Do you know who Peter Diamandis is? Founder of the I X recognize Prize. his name. Yeah. So if you if you've heard of the X Prize, uh, which was what? Sure, sure. Yeah, exactly. So Peter Diamandis is one of the uh, I guess one of the founders of the and sorry X Prize. And he just did a big documentary on him that's going to be released. And I know he's shopping it to the networks as well. And he's got a lot of exposure there. I'm actually going to be going to the X-Prize Christmas party oh, in cool. L.A. with Nick. And this will be a lot of fun in a couple of weeks, actually. Uh, that really is excited. really cool. Yeah, I have a feeling, though, that I, I need to go out and make a billion dollars in the next couple of weeks just so I don't feel like such a loser because there are supposed to be multiple billionaires there. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. and for, But they're not profitable. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you'd be probably surprised at all. Yeah, the maybe, who, maybe. Um, the uh, point being that I know he has a lot of good connections in t- television, and uh, I might know a couple other people. So I will put, I'll put my thinking cap on. And if there's any, if there's anyone out there listening to this who this resonates with, and they want to help you out as well, what's? I mean, obviously you got multiple websites, but what's the best way to? Like explore more. Yeah, so MikeMcCallowitz.com. I know that name's a doozy. Here's the shortcut. It'll be, it'll be in the if they're listening Show to this. Show Yeah, exactly. The nice thing is on Google, I, I've got enough positioning on Google now. If you type in Mike and then Mick, M-I-C, uh, I become a drop down. Nice. So it's a shortcut to find me. Cool. And, and then, I will promise you this. If you go to the website, you know, there's free stuff, whatever, but it is the most different website you'll ever experience. That's wh- my problem. Which one? Is that yours? Well, yeah, Mike McCallowitz. You'll see, you'll experience things on there. Like, I, oh my God. I know I went there. Just do oh. some mouse overs on the home page, and you'll see. Yeah, okay. I, I got to go back because I think I think I remember going there. I didn't go there today, but uh, yeah, I've been to this site. This is really cool. Oh, cool! I like okay. it. I, I dig it. It's very, very neat. <laughs> All the various pictures and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and then you'll, you'll find there's like hidden goose eggs. Like there's a speaker on there. If you click on it, it starts saying some funny stuff. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, Mike, I really appreciate this. Um, Thank you. Once more, it's, it's it's always fun when I get to interview people that I have this really authentic curiosity for what they're doing, and this is definitely that case. And I look forward to helping you eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. There you go. And Thanks. and hopefully preventing my own. So that's good. Yeah, we'll make sure that happens for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Mike, thanks for. Uh, showing up for the show and delivering all that you've done for my listeners out there go buy the books i mean mike's all three books that that i've read the the uh toilet paper entrepreneur the pumpkin plan and now profits first have been amazing every single one of them you will love if you're anything like me you like to read the same stuff i do then uh this will be right up your alley if you are loving the show if you're liking what we do here there's a couple ways you can reward me a, send me bags of unmarked bills to Monica. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, if you aren't going to do that, then you can leave a review on the iTunes machine. Um, it can be complicated, but it's not really that hard. Just go over to iTunes if you're an Apple subscriber. Click, you know, leave a review. I read every single one of them. And also, there may be a chance that I could help you, whether it's connecting you with a resource, giving you an idea, potentially working with me. Um, you know, one-on-one in a kind of a client consultant kind of a role, I'm open to that possibility. I'm, I don't have a, an agency. I don't uh, hold myself out there as that anybody can hire me, but I do like to work with other entrepreneurs who are looking to grow their business and looking for a lot of unique but proven strategies to do that, whether they be online, offline, uh, you name it. And you can always you know, re- request a conversation or a consultation at askbrad at baconwrappedbusiness.com and uh, we'll go from there. Otherwise, if you enjoy this show, do me the other favor and share it on social media. Share it with your friends and talk about it. Ask people if they've heard that Bacon Wrap Business show. It's so good. So planting that in your brain. Mike, thanks a lot for joining me once again and I look forward to continuing to connect with you here. Likewise. Thank you, Brad. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. And you guys, see you on the next episode. Bye-bye.